Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hey, do you know how many big political ideas have started at the dinner table of my friend Bill Press? I mean, it's like more than the Last Supper. It is extraordinary. Bill has been one of the leading progressive voices in the country. So I'm glad he's still out there on the left stronger than ever. Right now, he is using that progressive voice in the Bill Press pod. The Bill Press pod is up twice a week, an in-depth interview with a major newsmaker on Tuesday, plus his lively end-of-the-week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters digging deep on the latest craziness from the GOP, the massive voter suppression, bills in the states and the democrats fighting to keep control of congress in 2022 i encourage you join me in subscribing to the bill press pod it is a must listen for all progressives to sign up just go to wherever you get your podcast click on subscribe and tell your friends to do the same take it from me i follow the bill press pod and you should too Oh, my God. Happy, happy hour, everybody. After this very tense week with waiting for the Chauvin verdict and then uh, the relief after that. So we did not just have Frangela's Black Power Hour. We had to have like twin powers activate. We had Ellie Mistal and Mondaire Jones, the great representative of New York, with some great thoughts. Ellie was pre-verdict, but with some great, great. uh, He was prescient Mm -hmm. and also and also a little psychic. Right. Well, that yes, that, those are those are synonyms, right? Well, I love yes. it. Yeah, delicious cinnamon. My point is that uh, Mondaire Jones is ripping it up on the Congress floor on every issue because it's yeah. all related, all related to racism. Yeah. Jim Crow filibuster, mm-hmm. the not it, trying to deny D.C. statehood, right mm-hmm. on and on the uh, Supreme Court. So uh, anyway, just on fire. I'm saying happy hour is on fire. It Sean, is. can you do a jingle for that? Oh, I'm on Pfizer. No. And also fire. No. What? No. Please don't. Pfizer. Okay. The, rec- the vaccine rap jingle wars have been very taxing here on the Stephanie Miller show this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. really. Okay. I do. But, oh, can we do? Uh, can we do music, Madonna? That was a good one. That's why we thought we were out. We thought we were out of the vaccine rap wars, and then Madonna drew us back in. Moderna. Chris, just admit it. We have better jingles. We got Funky Cold Moderna. We got Madonna. Madonna. Funky Cold Cold Moderna is the best. Okay. Well, that's why we don't need more jingles. Pfizer elitist snob. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So this happy hour is, uh, Travis, as the kids say, lit. It's lit. Ellie, does this... The kids don't say that. I believe Ellie Mistal, straight man, 
with children running around willy-nilly behind him during this interview, yeah. break, broke into a show tune just completely, nearly unprovoked. Yeah. Yeah. As it regards a, a, an important Supreme Court ruling that applies to the right. Chauvin case, right? It is just, mm -hmm. It's just everything. This happy hour is everything. And here it is. We bring it to you. I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you happy hour. Mm -hmm. All right. We have a lot to, to cover on the Chauvin trial, but I feel like if we mentioned that a helicopter landed on Mars, Ellie Mistal just might nerd out for like 20 minutes. And just... <laughs> And helicopters, apparently. And, oh, my yeah. God. Okay, let's... Don't distract him. We have trial stuff to talk about. Wake up! Wake up, Billy Mistel is here. The man I like Mistel is here to settle things once and for all. Settle things once and for all. The man I like Mistel is here and better than better calls all. Better than better calls all. Ellie, I hope this does not count as you're listening to white people section of your week because you tweeted, I'm going to listen to Eric Nelson, but fair warning, that will max out my listening to white people quotient for the day, likely the week, possibly the month. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to I tried to recover my listening to white people's strength, in part because, as you pointed out, we sent a helicopter to Mars. I don't know. Yes. Oh, my God. Once uh, they can get Drizzly to do that, like, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. Um, okay, so I, I hate to, you know, you always hurt the ones you love, but we talked about this a little before we got on here, but because, you know, Maxine Waters said a thing, here he is, Eric Nelson. I just don't know how this jury, it can really be said to be that they are free from the taint of this. Um, and now that we have U.S. representatives uh, threatening acts of, uh, uh, of violence in no. relation to the specific case. no. It's, it's mind-boggling to me, Oh, dear. Clutch. Well, I'll give you that Congresswoman and Waters may have given you something on appeal <sighs> that may result in this whole trial being overturned. Let me start by saying... No. Okay, Ellie. <laughs> first of all, she did not promote violence of any kind. She was talking about protests, but go ahead. That conversation was two white people being like, oh, my God, a black woman said something. The other <laughs> white guy going, I know she did. Can you believe it? You might win just because a black woman spoke out. I mean, that that was that conversation. Yeah. No, that is not grounds for appeal. No, that is not grounds for mistrial. But they're going to try it. I mean, I think one mm -hmm. of the things that people have to steal themselves for is that even if we have a conviction in this trial, which is not something I'm counting on but hoping for, but even if we have a conviction in this trial, it's not going to end there. The The first thing that happens is that the the Nelson is going to move for a mistrial um, and move to have the judge set it aside uh, as a matter of law. I don't think Peter Cahill, who has not covered himself, the judge, I do not think he has covered himself in glory in his administration of this trial. But I do not think that he wants to be ground zero for white supremacy by setting aside the verdict. But absolutely, they will appeal. The, the Chauvin people will appeal this to the superior courts in Minnesota trying to get this case turned at, turned over, um, sorry, overturned. Um, yes, they, they're, they're gonna use, they're gonna use whatever they can use to try to argue for a mistrial, to try to argue for an error in law in convicting, in convicting this cop for murder, uh, uh, if that in fact happens. So this is not gonna, 
this is not going to end, as you know, Frederick Douglass might say. Um, uh, power concedes nothing without demand, and in, in this case, white cops will not will not accept justice. They will fight and mm-hmm. fight and fight to the last to escape accountability. Ellie, I am briefly distracted from your uh, very astute legal points by a, a child uh, fleeing for its life behind you. Back and forth. Twice. That Back is forth. amazing. Twice. <laughs> Sir, what's happening over there? Brother, hmm? His little brother is sick. Uh, uh, not COVID. We got the test. Not COVID. Just okay, regular good, good. child sickness. Um, and so he's playing a nurse today. Oh. And so, but he's eight. And so we, we gave him the, the power, which is the thermometer. So he's oh. giving us like hourly op- updates. This oh. hour... His temperature is 97.4. <laughs> I will update you next hour. Like, oh, how cute. That's super Thank cute. You okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you tweeted, basically, the only way the jury can acquit is if they fail to see Floyd as human. Um, mm-hmm. I just, and I agree with you. You said, you know, you got a tough case when you as the defense attorney are showing videos where your client's victim says, Mama, I love you, right before your client murders him. I mean, I mm-hmm. didn't he sum it all up I, to me, Ellie, when he said this was not policing, this was murder. And every single person in the police department up to the chief testified to that, that this was not policing. This was not their techniques. This is this was yeah. murder. I don't I don't know how they get away from this. I don't know how they get away from the nine minutes and 29 seconds. One of the reasons why I think Eric Nelson, the defense attorney, is showing video. I mean, usually. Usually, and I don't, I'm not here to criticize defense attorneys, but usually you don't see a defense attorney show video of the victim crying out in pain and agony and asking for his mother before he is killed by your client. That's not the usual strategy here. I think part of why he's doing it is because he's this is what he's got. I mean, he's got when you got a dog of the case, you know, you're going to get some fleas. But the the other part that's happening is that I think he's almost trying to desensitize the jury to the death that we saw, right? Like at some point, if you see Floyd die over and over and over and over again, and you're for the last four weeks, mm-hmm. at some point, do you become desensitized to the fact that a human being's life is being stuffed out in front of you and start thinking of it almost like you're watching like a CGI, you know, representation of life? And I think that that's part of what's going on here. That's part of what must be going on in the jury deliberation room. Like there, there's got to be some level of people who are over it by now, right? Yeah. Who are used to the thought that Floyd was killed and are, are, are and a, and a fail to are no longer kind of emotionally able to kind of grapple with that. I think that's part of what's got to be going on right now. We pause to report that you will be getting a temperature check soon as the child has fled up the stairs behind you. <laughs> okay. Um, I, when I'm listening to my Joy read, as I do every day, and she says, Ellie Stahl has written a very important piece in the nation you must read. I was like, oh, that's my homework for tomorrow. Hang on. I got to go get that. That's me tomorrow. Uh, but I, Ellie, as you do, Mr. Fancy Harvard Law Degree, <laughs> you brought up something I, of course, I did. I've never heard of. Um, just but your piece was how the Supreme Court gave cops a license to kill. You said Chauvin's defense is so basic that an attorney straight out of law school could pull it off. His lawyers are simply arguing that cops have the right to kill people if they think they need to. Um, the defense lawyers uh, defense lawyers know that the law does not require Chauvin to behave like a human being. It only requires him to behave like a cop. It doesn't hold cops to an objective standard of behavior. Instead, the law allows an individual cop's own frailties, their fears, their racist misconceptions, even their own hysteria to define the scope of acceptable cop behavior. 
And so you mentioned Graham versus Connor, which of course I'd never, I always learned something from you, but I had never heard of this. It changed the use of force guidelines for police all across the country, allowing them to be more violent and homicidal. Um, and so explain this case, because you said in the actual case, the court found a reasonable officer could slam Dethorn Graham's head into a car and break his foot because Graham was resisting arrest. Never mind, he was diabetic going into shock, who was being detained on the suspicion that he stole some orange juice, which he did not. Oh my God! So this is the—that's the case so, that started all this. So let's go. Let's go back to first principles, right? Like, what actually protects us from the cops beating my ass? And it turns out that the protection, the only protection I have, constitutionally speaking, is the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment says you cannot, you know, protects the citizens against the state's use of unreasonable search or seizure. Of course, the Founding Fathers did not define unreasonable because white colonists and slavers had a very different conception of reasonable than I did. Um, for most of American history, unreasonable has been defined by the reasonable, in fairness, white man on the street. Like, what would you think is reasonable? And that's that's the standard, right? Graham v. Connor in 1989 changed the standard from a reasonable man to a reasonable cop. So now, instead of like what would a reasonable human being do, cops only have to prove that they acted like any other officer would have acted in that situation. If any other officer in that situation would have been a violent homicidal maniac, then guess what? That's a reasonable cop in that situation. In the actual case, the Thorn, the Thorn Graham, as I said, he he was he is drive he was a passenger in a car. He was he was diabetic. He needed some juice. He got the stopped at a convenience store. The Thorn Graham went into the convenience store, saw that the line was too long, came back into the car, and his friend drove off. Well, a copper saw that and was just like. I wonder if something's fishy going on here. Instead yeah. of going to the store and being like, did anybody, didn't go to the store, just followed the car for some distance, then pulled the car over. Now, again, Graham hasn't had his orange juice. So he's starting to go into diabetic shock. His friend has Graham's card, diabetic card, being like, he, he he's a diabetic. It's like, I got, I, got, I got a note from my doctor here. Um, the cop decides that he's resisting arrest. He slams Graham's hood, head into his hood. He breaks his foot trying to get him into the car. Um, just brutalizes Graham, who later suits, right? By the way, after they subdued Graham, they finally went back to the store, who was just like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, uh, so they let Graham go. He sues. Um, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court at the time, William Rehnquist, um, rule that instead of, of viewing Graham's lawsuit under the reasonable man standard, we have to only look at what a reasonable cop would have done in that situation. And of course, the conservative court decided that a reasonable cop would break a man's foot instead of reading a diabetic card. And that's been the standard since 1989. Well, that, that, that violence, and this is what I want people to understand, that violence begets violence, right? right. Because if one cop beats the crap out of me, then that sets a precedent that reasonable cops would beat the crap out of me for not having enough orange juice, right? And so then the next cop that comes along and maybe beats the crap out of me plus shoots me, well, that that's just a it's it's a continuation of the precedent, and that's where we are right now in this country. Well, right, you said yeah. The um, the history has proven them woefully wrong. Uh, Graham versus Connor is the reason every officer accused of murder claims I feared for my life. It's the reason most officers were never charged in the first place, and the reason a police officer saying I thought he had a gun nullifies the the objective truth that a uh, suspect was unarmed. 
Uh, plus, it made a great song in the in the uh, movie the movie musical Chicago, as you recall. He <laughs> had a gun. He had a gun. Oh yes, oh Say, yes, oh yes. They both. Oh yes, they oh, both. Yes, oh yes, yes, they both reach for the gun, the gun, the gun, the gun. Oh yes, they both <laughs> yeah. reach for the gun, for the gun. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, you are a, you are all right. You are a straight guy that I did not think was going to burst into a, a mu musical, musical number theater. there and know yeah. exactly what I was talking about. But okay. Um, <laughs> but you made another great point, Ellie. You said before camera phones, it was nearly impossible to get white people to believe that cops acted like black people have always said they do, and that's mm -hmm. exactly right. It's not that it's more prevalent. There's more phones. There's no more cameras. How, how many white people who think that Derek Chauvin is guilty? How many y'all would think that he was guilty if there was no video? If you just had to take the word of bystanders at the scene versus the word of the cop, because I tell you, without the video, Chauvin would be saying Floyd resisted the Floyd resisted arrest, that he was drunk and out of control, mm -hmm. on drugs and out of control. Um, he would have said that he did not kneel on Floyd for nine minutes and 29 seconds. The cop would have said, I only kneeled on him for like a minute or two mm -hmm. to subdue him. That's what Chauvin would say yeah. if there wasn't video proving him wrong. Yeah. How many of you would believe Chauvin in that situation without video as opposed to what the bystanders would be saying? Because there'd be bystanders saying like, no, man, that cop kneeled on him for like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Who would you believe? And that, I mean, and that is what we kind of keep running into. Without the video evidence, white people tend to believe the authorities and the cops, and they shouldn't. There's no, Ellie, there's no reason. You're to talking to all of us out here in L.A., Rodney King land, in the, <laughs> yeah. o, the right? OG yeah. first video, Rodney King, where we watched officers beat the living out of a man that it clearly was not resisting, but you talk about that in your piece. There's a long and ugly history of white people ascribing super strength to black people as a way to use mm -hmm. to justify the use of deadly force, right? That he was going to, you know, uh, they, as you say, be infused with Black Panther and rise from the dead and right, just whatever. That, they that, think that we're yeah. stronger than we are. They think that we feel less pain than we mm -hmm. do, and they they think we can overpower people that we can't. Um, they think that we're older than we are. I mean, you've been talking about my kid has been running back and forth. He's eight. I haven't had the talk with him yet. I will, and that has, a, and I will have to have the talk with him, and that will have less to do with his age and more to do with his height. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Yeah. His height as he gets taller. Yeah. Uh, he becomes more at risk. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, he becomes more of a perceived threat to white folks yeah. in my predominantly and, white. Name. And you know that's the, you're right. All the references to George Foster's size and and height. And you know Boy. what? You know what kept striking me as I've said before, Ellie is. It, there's going to be no justice for George Floyd because justice is if his little girl could get those shoulder rides that she talked about, like she could felt like she could touch the sky because he was so tall and how much mm -hmm. she loved that. And it, it's just. It, Ugh, to have that used against you was, you know, that that's anyway. I mean, you just it would be, so, it would be used against, and yeah. it would be used like I think about this a lot because I because I, I I have not been to the gym for a year and a half. Um, I, I I'm a big guy. Yeah. I'm a big guy and I'm a loud guy, and I think about that all the time. My mom thinks about that all the time. Um, just how I would be perceived on the street, um, simply because of my size, makes me. Um, puts me more at risk um, of my life when I, should the cops get their hands on me? Yeah. I think well, about it all the time. You, I mean, you said that, you know, summed it up the way I did. You just said, I think it's pretty hard to argue you're a reasonable cop when the other cops testify against you. Um, but the fact that it's even considered a valid de defense strategy illustrates once again, our laws are objectively pro-police brutality. 
Uh, the Supreme Court has given cops a license to kill people. Um, and you just go on further to say, unless Biden and Democrats use their moment of total control of government to change the Graham versus Connor standard, the next cop who shoots an unarmed black person will claim he feared for his life and the next one after that, and on and on and on. So I... You can you know, change this by statute. You can change this mm-hmm. by statute at the federal level. You can change this by statute at the state level um, to change our use of force guidelines of when it's okay for cops to use deadly force and what level of de-escalation they have to do to do it. Now, when I say that, cops will be like, oh, what's going to, if you, you can't second guess the cops. You don't want us to hesitate um, in real time. No, 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 I do. I do want yeah. you to hesitate in real time. I do want you to take an extra second or two to make sure that you're shooting the person for a good reason and not because you are hysterical. My standard, which I could not get past, but my standard would be a reasonable in fact standard. So like mm-hmm. if you think that the person has a gun, that person better have a gun because if he doesn't have Thank a you. gun, you go to jail. You so, better pass. Right. Go, so you do not collect two hundred dollars. You go directly to jail. So when you tell a thirteen-year-old stop and show us your hands, and he does, and you shoot him, there's consequence. Whether he'd had a gun at some point or wh- whatever had happened, when you say stop or we'll shoot, th- implicit in that it's, we won't shoot if you stop right. and show us your hands. I mean, it's it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and shoot an unarmed person. I don't care if the, you know, they're just like, oh, well, Adam Toledo, he was only unarmed for a second. He was only unarmed for a second because the cop didn't take two seconds mm-hmm. to let him be unarmed. That's right. why he was unarmed for only a second. You cannot shoot people who are unarmed. And like that is, you know, I say that as if I'm saying something controversial. Yeah. It is not controversial to say that you cannot shoot people if they are unarmed. That should be yep. Exactly. Obvious. Ellie, we're way, we're way over time, sorry. but and sorry, I've, sorry. you're gone. You've gone way over. You're listening to white people quote yes, for this week. Exactly. So I <laughs> <laughs> love you, Ellie. Thanks so much for taking time. It's such a big day. Thank Have you. Have a nice one. Cheers. All right. Bye bye. Quick math: the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform, one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. NetSuite.com slash Miller. NetSuite.com slash Miller. One more time, NetSuite.com slash Miller. It's exhausting some days, all the Republican uh, going on around the world. Uh, Penny tweets, Oklahoma's governor signed a bill making it illegal to film police. He also signed a bill allowing protesters to be run over. Another bill banning transgender children from participating in sports. Which is why uh, we are so excited when when we have rock stars on our side who we got an opportunity to meet uh, a while back. But uh, listen to Representative Mondaire Jones of the great state of New York uh, yesterday on the House floor on D.C. statehood had enough of my colleagues' racist insinuations that somehow the people of Washington, D.C. are incapable or even unworthy of our democracy. One Senate Republican said that D.C. wouldn't be a, quote, well-rounded working-class state 
I had no idea there were so many syllables in the word white. One of my House Republican colleagues said that D.C. shouldn't be a state because the district doesn't have a landfill. <laughs> my goodness, with all the racist trash my colleagues have brought to this debate, I can see why they're worried about having a place to put it. Thank you, Rockstar yeah. Cheers. Oh, I didn't have to ask Sean for Rockstar Cheers. Yeah. You know, when I do this, I mean Rockstar Cheers. Um, Representative Mondaire Jones, good morning. We're so excited to have you back. And I was saying I deserve a lot of credit because we are all so intimidated by you. Uh, your life story yes. is... <laughs> It highlights everyone else's poor choices. You were raised by a single mom who had multiple jobs, went to public school, of course, got your bright Stanford law degree at Harvard, worked in Obama's Justice Department. You're the first uh, black gay Congress member. And uh, look at you knocking it out of the park in Congress. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I'm just honestly, we're just so um, grateful for you and what you're doing. Thank you. And it, it's such a pleasure to be able to be on your show again um, and, and to be able to lead in the Congress on, I think, the issues of great importance today. Well, I, you know, Representative, I can't have been saying this all along. I'm just so tired of it seeming like there's two sets of rules for us and for them. Right. I mean, as you you are quite a student of history, by the way, I was like, oh, I see where here in those Stanford and Harvard degrees. <laughs> she went through the whole history of the filibuster, the Supreme Court um, just on Twitter. But I mean, as you know, the Dakotas were split for the sole purpose of giving, you know, Republicans more power and four senators for less people than are in D.C., I mean, it's it just you can go back through history. And every time, as you pointed out, the Supreme Court, they did it. They expanded the Supreme Court when, right when it fit their purposes. And you know Mitch McConnell would do the same thing again if, God forbid, things change hands in 2022, right? Absolutely. And and we've, we've got to push back on these false narratives that are being propagated by Republicans. I've been thinking to myself, our public education system has really failed people in this country. I mean, there's been so many ahistorical statements made uh, in committee, I sit on the Judiciary Committee uh, with some of the most egregious members of the Republican Caucus. Uh, and, and I just sort of take note, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's demonstrably false. You know, you know, Jim Jordan uh, talking uh, about how things are unconstitutional. I mean, our Article Three provides Congress the ability to change the size of the Supreme Court. And in fact, uh, the Congress has done that seven times in our nation's history including to defeat white supremacy. When I think yeah. back to what happened uh, in 1866 with Andrew Johnson after Lincoln had been assassinated, uh, becoming president, and he was against Reconstruction. Yeah. And so Congress, rather than allow uh, Andrew Johnson to appoint a white supremacist to the Supreme Court, decided to shrink the size of the Supreme yeah. Court. We must use the levers of power uh, in the way that our predecessors have in order to save our democracy. Yeah. This isn't part about saving our democracy. And I've been, I've been harping specifically on the issue of the fundamental right to vote in this country, which the Roberts court uh, has been hostile to consistently. It's never seen a voter suppression law that it has found to be unconstitutional. Yeah. Yeah. John Roberts said racism is all over. Remember that a few years ago, that certainly proved to be true. Um, I see right away you can tell that you're much more educated and classy than we we are because uh, we use a different word for those members than other than egregious for your colleagues. <laughs> yeah. Jim Jordan. Okay. Um, yeah, but you said, uh, I mean, all of these issues in some ways, you know, are interconnected. You've written two pieces about D.C. statehood. 
Um, you just, I mean, what, you know, the piece we just played was so great, but I love that Republicans just erupted in anger at what we just played that you just said that was completely on point, right? And uh, you said the truth is here, there's no good faith argument for disenfranchising, right? I mean, you know history better than I do, Represent. Wasn't there a war something, taxation, representation, something, something? Wasn't wasn't that something in our history? Members are, re- are reminded of that because all you do, all you need to do is look at a license plate in Washington D.C. and be reminded of taxation without representation. People yeah. do their unfortunately, um, you know, t- terribly motivated uh, agenda, and and that is an agenda of white supremacy in the modern era. Uh, where the Republican Party cannot compete on the merits of its policy ideas. So it's seeking to disenfranchise large swabs of the American electorate. And we know that those people are are black, brown, uh, working class, and young people. And so we have to stand up in the way that they have done for nefarious purposes, unfortunately. To your point, you know, you know that if the roles were reversed, Mitch McConnell would be doing precisely the same thing. Unfortunately, within you know within his caucus, there would be not nearly as much pushback right. uh, as, as I've gotten from some people uh, within yeah. the caucus. Yeah. I will say, we've gotten a lot of co-sponsors already. People who have reached out to me to say I'm in on expanding yeah. the by adding four seats under the Judiciary Act of 2021. You, that lady, I can I don't know which one of your egregious colleagues that was, but um, <laughs> that was, I mean, it's hilarious that Liz Cheney standing right behind her with. Less people than she represents that are in D.C. She's like, well, there's just, you know, not enough people. I mean, it's just it's insane. You said these desperate objections are about fear, fear that uh, that in D.C. their white supremacist politics will no longer play. Fear that soon enough white supremacist politics won't work anywhere in America. Fear that if they don't regard democracy, they will not win. Just the one state I picked, Representative, that, you know, like, oh, don't like protests? We'll make it okay to, to kill someone with your car if they're protesting. Like, oh, I see, Derek Chauvin, we finally got justice in one case. Oh, we'll make it illegal for people to film the police. I mean, oh, they didn't vote for us? Let's find a way to make sure that, that black people can't vote. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it, it, in some ways, it's surprising that we're here in, in uh, 20, what year is it? 2021. Mm-hmm. Isn't it 20? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't it? I, I mean, mean, it's, you know, it really is three steps forward, two steps back some days, isn't it? There is a desperation, a palpable sense of desperation uh, that I, th- I think we're beginning to see from Republicans in Congress uh, and in, in right wing media like Tucker, Tucker Carlson, who yeah. um, ha- has now explicitly endorsed uh, white replacement theory. Uh, there is this feeling that the diversification of America is speeding up and uh, the shrinking minority that had outsized control of our government uh, is, is, is losing power at a rate uh, that it has been unprecedented. And so now you see situations where, you know, most of my Republican colleagues on the House floor are not even defending against the claims that they are seeking to disenfranchise certain groups yeah. of people even pivot to things like, well, some votes yeah. are more valuable than other votes, which is. Yeah. I mean, even Tucker Carlson has turned into a, a Batman villain. Have you heard, do we still have his maniacal laugh? I hate to haunt your dreams like this, but you know, we're just, I, 
is it me or are they just, you're right, they're more just outwardly awful and they just think it's okay to be that outwardly racist. I mean, Josh Hawley thinks it's okay to vote against the COVID anti-Asian hate crimes bill. Like for, I, they don't even, they don't even bother with a reason, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's, I, I just literally some mornings, I think like, do they just want to be on the side of everything awful? Is that, is that because they're becoming associated with trying to reverse every progress we've made in this century, it seems like. Right. And, and of course, the, the base has been there for a while now, if we are to be honest with ourselves, of the base of the Republican Party, but that, that now cannot be taken back. Yeah. And 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 there is a uh, a caucus that has really a, a subset of the of the GOP base that has really won the Civil War, uh, I think, within the party at this point. When, yeah. when you see Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor yeah. Who just unsuccessfully tried to create this America First caucus uh, that explicitly uh, pr- proposed, you know, the the in, the returning back to Anglo-Saxon traditions. Yeah, yeah. It's not even dog whistles anymore. Well, let's talk about filibuster because that is just to me stopping everything. And you said the Jim Crow filibuster has been weaponized to block progress for decades to deliver meaningful change on everything from voting rights to gun violence prevention. The Senate must end the the filibuster. Um, You um, obviously and some other colleagues have been have called on them to do so. There's what, 97 of you or something now that have uh, signed this letter. And, and, And this is where we get to a problem within the Democratic Party, right? I mean, we you know, we don't expect Republicans today in the Congress to uh, to negotiate in good faith. Uh, but there's no reason for a mansion and cinema and a handful of other folks uh, to to be opposed to repealing or at least reforming the filibuster so that we can pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, the For the People Act, yeah. SHR1 in the House, uh, things that are required to save our democracy. I mean, why would you want to be known as the as a senator who blocked voting rights from happening as we watch? Well, they're they're part of a handful of Democrats that aren't even a record of what where they stand on D.C. statehood. That would just seem like a no brainer to me, you know, but I just I mean, you have to sometimes wonder, are they afraid it's going to take away their power because we'll have enough Democratic senators that we don't have to bow and scrape to one or two you know, on everything. I mean, it's, and, and what I'm looking at is the same thing President Biden talks about. Vast, huge majorities of the American people are for all of these things we want to do. It is bipartisan in the country, you know. I mean, and you, I, the Supreme Court stuff, I thought you were so on point again. You said it's not unprecedented for Congress to adjust the size of the Supreme Court to defeat white supremacy. We've done it three times before. We must expand the court. You said, here's why it's mad, why it matters. And you talk, you go through the three times it's been done previously. Um, today's far-right majority has been reviving Jim Crow. We must learn from history, do what it takes to stop them. Um, and further, you said our democracy is under assault. As you said earlier, the Supreme Court has dealt the sharpest blows. So you and uh, obviously Nadler, Markey, you have the uh, Judiciary Act of 2021. You are on every you are everywhere on every issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your name's on every act and every I mean, it, it good for you because it just yeah. feels like there's so much to do. Right. But you don't seem intimidated by it. Not at all. This is the fight of our lives. And if we don't have a democracy, then we have nothing. We, we can't have uh, climate legislation that will save us from catastrophe uh, that is imminent. You know, we, we can't have racial justice in policing. We can't have health care for all in the, in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, and so we, we must secure the right to vote in this country. And 
when I think back to what the Roberts Court did in 2013, when it, it struck down the heart of the Voting Rights Act, yeah. which has then led now to, to SB 202, that, that law in Georgia and what's being attempted in 43 states. Yeah. To do something, and and I have to, and I have to stand up to these people in a way that, unfortunately, too few people have been doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. can we? I'm sorry to do this to you, but now I feel like your family already, and we only hurt the ones we love. Um, t- can I have cut six, Sean? This is everybody's talking about what Senator Ted Cruz said yesterday about the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. We had a Republican president, a Republican Senate, and a Republican House. We didn't do this. We could have. They love to say Donald Trump to paint him as some crazy autocrat. Right. You didn't see Republicans, when we had control of the Senate, try to rig the game. Oh, my God. You didn't see us try to pack the court. There was nothing that would have prevented Republicans from doing what they're doing other than respect for the rule of law, other than mm. basic decency, other than recognizing that democracy matters. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Did your head just explode? Because um, what would you call Merrick Garland, right? What would you call denying the first black president for almost a year, a Supreme Court pick? What would you call shoving through a justice when how many million people had already voted in the middle of an election? I mean, right. it, it is, it, they have no, sh- this is what happens. They have no shame, right? About rewriting history. Yeah. He, he, Ted Cruz is, is, is terrible. I mean, you know, not only, not only have Republicans been packing the court and including the lower courts, but we also know that Ted Cruz packed his bags to go to Cancun in the midst of a, a climate catastrophe in Texas. So uh, he, he is not someone who's credible on this or really any other subject. And, it, and it's really shameful because he represents the very worst of the Republican Party today. Is there a fancy Harvard word that would be beyond egregious, but would still be FCC friendly for Ted Cruz? I'm going to weigh in on that, but I, I empower you to uh, <laughs> to say what you will. Yes. Be- because we feel so close to you and you are family, we want to now haunt your dreams with Tucker Carlson's uh, evil Batman villain laugh. Here it is. Oh. When he's- I, I emailed you, Sean. I, I emailed it to oh. you, Sean. Oh, I thought you had it. I'm sorry. I got a text. Okay, okay. well, maybe maybe we're not family enough. Maybe we wait one more yeah. appearance <laughs> to torture him with... Yeah, I feel like he's losing his marbles. I mean, I joked that, you know, Fox News was flying their hoods at half staff after the Chauvin verdict. But it's like they were openly rooting for riots, right? They were disappointed somehow. I mean, to say on the air that he wasn't really guilty, but that people were just afraid of rioting is just I I, I don't even know how I I don't know what degree of racist that is, but it's it's really bad, right? You, you totally know where people would have been during the civil rights movement and, and even fortunately prior to then, um, you know, it is, it's really bad. And I'm, one thing that is a silver lining is that a lot of white people with good conscience are now like, whoa, yeah. Yeah. Really? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we found it. I'm sorry to do this to you before you go. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, so I think awful. Yeah, it's all. I think oh. really he, they are losing it. They're losing their shizzle because white supremacy <laughs> is losing, um, because of awesome, awesome uh, representatives like Mondaire Jones of the great state yes. of New York. I, I just, I may have to move back to Croton just for you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I wish you would. We we need more Democrats here. Don't tell Adam Schiff. I, I, I'm t- I, Adam Schiff's my congressman. I feel torn between two lovers already. Okay. <laughs> Stuff. <laughs> Please come back anytime. Representative Mondaire Jones of the great state of New York. Yes. Thanks so much. All right. <laughs> yeah, Rockstar cheers always. Okay.